Hello, my name is Sean Ramos, creator of the audio drama This American Wasteland, and you are listening to Dead Hand Radio. How you doing, Sean? I'm doing well, and yourself? Good. It's a pleasure to meet you, and I appreciate you coming on the podcast. Welcome to Dead Hand Radio. Likewise. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, we certainly have some common interests, and I would like to talk about those. Totally. Um, the the my, my podcast, Dead Hand Radio, if you don't know too much about it, I'll just give you a quick summary. Mm-hmm. And um, it's a Cold War-centric podcast that covers all aspects of life that were impacted by the events of the Cold War, which includes current day events, because mm-hmm. the Cold War had such a, a widespread and long-lasting impact that it still affects us to this day, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. So I bring on guests who have either lived through parts of the Cold War, have knowledge or an interest in the Cold War, and we talk about the Cold War and how it impacted life in general. Mm -hmm. This month I'm doing a series on science fiction, and it doesn't have to necessarily be completely related to the Cold War, though uh, I will bring it up. Um, throughout the conversation as much as possible. So I hope you don't mm-hmm. get sick of me talking about the Cold War. <laughs> Not at all. All right, cool. And uh, so with that, how about if you give me a little background on your podcasting journey? Um, so up until uh, this American Wasteland happened, uh, I worked primarily in theater. So with the theaters closing down and everything, I decided well, what better way to utilize literally all of my talents than to actually write my own show uh, that would end up being an audio drama. And then I'm also the sound designer, the sound editor. I am one of the lead actors. Uh, I do all of the marketing, like literally all of that. And the show itself actually started as, it was always going to be a post-apocalyptic uh story but it was originally supposed to be focused on climate change and uh like that other looming disaster (laughs) until covid happened and then i realized that this was something that is just as catastrophic if not in like a different way uh that almost like mirrors the uh, like the typical like zombie apocalypse type things, especially with like just different, just different mindsets on different sides, and it's it's become a little too much of a uh, a mirror to a lot that's been happening, but uh, yeah, it's just a a try to be a fresh take on the whole post apocalyptic story. Yeah, it's more of a um, 
more more like a uh the the apocalypse is unfolding as we're you know as we're currently living through an apocalypse more or less mm-hmm. um although this is the most boring apocalypse anyone could have ever imagined <laughs> i right. i don't think a, a science fiction writer would ever write this apocalypse because it's just too boring but uh maybe, the maybe way you later asimov <laughs> yeah yeah but uh the way you portray it in your audio drama it's not boring because there it's it's fraught with uh with um okay i'm at a loss for for really colorful words but um it it, it is fraught with um the uh the tension that you would feel during a conflict even though the the conflict is not directly upon you in this story um but you are commentating on the conflict that's ongoing and then at certain points you come in pretty close proximity to potential conflict and that Mm -hmm. builds up tension that's the word i was looking for the tension yes um and uh yeah i really like that about it uh there were some things there were some things in it that i was a little bit um off put by and i think this is the reason why a lot of science fiction writers don't do direct commentary on current events or groups of people that actually exist mm-hmm. because you're bound to uh, alienate you know at least 50% of your audience by attacking one side or another right. um I, I on the other hand I'm more objective and I can I can listen to it objectively and enjoy it for what it is a piece mm-hmm. of entertainment um but the the only thing that I did find a little uh, surprising was that you you did directly name certain groups that are uh, currently in existence, and um, and you know it just seems a little bit unusual to see that. And I think it's a bold move on your part. Mm-hmm. So hats off to you for that. But at the same time, I'm like. Mm-hmm that could be a little bit inflammatory for some people to hear. Mm -hmm. And now going into this, I'm sure you thought that through. I mean, I'm sure you knew that there's going to be people out there that hear this and are going to be like, Oh, you know, this guy's one side or the other. And I can't really, I can't really abide by listening to somebody bash my side of the argument. So I'm not going to listen to it. What Mm -hmm. was your, what was your thought process going into making a decision to do that? Um, really, it was just, uh, I've always been a big proponent on write what you know, and, uh, just being a, being a, uh, a non-white artist, I have always seen another side <laughs> that, uh, like I have always been on that alienated side in a lot of things that I've done and uh, growing up and stuff. So uh, it's just something that's always been present and uh, something that's always just surrounded any part of like my, my creative and professional journey. And even as, even as a teenager, like I dealt with a lot of people that were uh, that pretty much 
mirrored the type of people that I talk about in the show. And uh, like you did say that I do mention like groups that are present right now. Uh, I, I tried to shy away from doing doing so like extremely explicitly. <laughs> so what I what I tried to do and what I was hoping I would be able to do is to just use bits and pieces from reality to fictionalize. And uh, at the time I was writing it, um, so at the time I was writing it, a lot of things hadn't even unfolded yet in our real life timeline. So uh, yeah, like I said, I tried to leave as much to fictionalization as possible. And at the time of writing, it actually felt a little hyperbolic. And uh, I'm sorry, what does that word mean? Could you? <laughs> I, I thought it was highly exaggerated. Oh, okay. So, uh, like in my wildest dreams, I didn't think that a lot of what was written in there would ever come close to fruition. So, uh, like the entire first season was completed with writing and uh, in around June. So, uh, the, like the entire writing process of the first season was from April to June. So interesting, uh, in, interesting that uh, that you made that comment because it it seems almost prescient that uh, you know that you wrote that before events actually unfold because you know ho hopefully it doesn't go to the extreme that your story goes to. Right. But there were there were things that anybody who listens to it would recognize as, uh, you know, headlines from from local or national newspapers or, mm -hmm. you know, if you turn on the, the television and watch the um, the national news, you're going to see um, little snippets of uh, stuff that was reflected in your story, which is so cool in, in some ways. You know, and I have to say, I, I was a little bit, I was a little bit critical at the beginning when I, when I said there were some things I didn't like, but I, I mm -hmm. have to tell you, I love the audio drama that you created. Thank and you. again, I, I, I uh, commend you for taking the bold steps of, you know, being overt with your commentary. Uh, that's, that is something that you don't often see most like, Gene Roddenberry, okay, he attacks social mm -hmm. issues from such a covert uh, way of of dealing with it. He he dealt with it, and that's what's great about his right. about his writing. He did deal with social issues, um, but he didn't do it in such an overt way that it was off putting to one side or another. Mm -hmm. um, and, and then when you go back and you look at it from an analytical perspective, you're like, wow, that dude was pretty revolutionary in right. his time. I mean, same thing with like, uh, I've been reading a lot of Robert A. Heinlein recently and just like the stuff that several of his novels are about, like, it's just, this is some of the most progressive writing I've actually read that wasn't just outright progressive. <laughs> science fiction is an important genre for more than just bringing cool science or cool technology and distant planets mm -hmm. and like rockets. If, like if people focus more on like the speculative fiction, like, and yeah. 
that birthed science fiction, then like that in itself is a great umbrella term for it. Uh, again, like being a non-white male, like I, I have always read stuff that was, you know, the most popular things that were the most easy to find. And a lot of it was uh, like the big, big name writers. Like I grew up on uh, like Frank Herbert, Isaac Asimov, um, Heinlein and like Arthur C. Clarke and just everything like that. But it's been a conscious decision lately to try to like branch out and find, uh, find out um, like non-male people of color, like uh, different authors that are out there because they are. And um, it's just, it's just a matter of like trying to diversify as much as possible. Uh, I totally appreciate that. Totally respect that. In fact, talking to people with that perspective that are, that are open um, to exploring different, different uh, influences mm-hmm. has helped me to, to expand my own perspective. Right. And so I, I am going to start seeking out, artists and writers creators of you know uh, what, what do you what do you call them minority groups or underrepresented uh pretty much just underrepresented uh yeah marginalized like marginalized there you go it's all the it's all a big yeah. umbrella <laughs> yeah so i i will make an effort to because um you know i, I never really paid that much attention to it because i am white you know mm-hmm. and if you're not hit in the face with something, it doesn't really bother you. I guess you don't pay much attention to it, right? Right. And then when you start talking to people and you have empathy and you start talking to people who have been marginalized or, or you know, hit in the face with that, growing up, living under that um, sort of, in a way, oppression, uh, mm-hmm. it, it, really, it really opens my eyes and makes me appreciate the that uh, there is a broader scope of creativity out there and shoot, I'm, I love the creative arts and that's w- something that I support wholeheartedly. That's excellent. Yeah, like you can only see through your own lens until you seek out another one. Yeah, so. and uh, to be honest with you, that's one of the things that this podcast has really helped me do is to see things through other people's perspectives. It's mm-hmm. given me a whole new level of respect for human beings, um, I am, and and people who know me could categorize me as borderline misanthropic, <laughs> and that's no joke. I'm right. an introvert. I am uh, very uh, almost a hermit. You know, I don't go out very much. I hate crowds. Mm-hmm. Uh, public speaking used to appall me, and <laughs> I just didn't like to be around a lot of people. Mm-hmm having one-on-one conversations with different people has really made me appreciate people more. And, uh, it's just, it's really the joy and the true reward that I've gotten from this podcast. Cause I mean, I'm sure you understand this, the job don't pay much. <laughs> right. <laughs> so you got to find the rewards in other ways. And for mm-hmm. me, the reward has been meeting new people and hearing different perspectives on things. No, totally. Uh, now let's talk a little bit more about American or this American wasteland, because Mm -hmm. that is really what attracted me to you, uh, you know, and the fact that it was an audio drama, which Mm -hmm. is 
really all I listen to now. I only listen to uh, audio books, podcasts, and audio dramas. Right. I watch some TV, but I hardly ever read anymore because I just can't stay focused long enough to finish a, a chapter, let alone a whole book. Right. At least with audio books, you can like take care of errands or something too. Yeah, as well as audio drama, which I've, you know, your podcast I was listening to uh, while I would do my daily walks, my morning walks. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it's, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty neat. I've always wanted to do an audio drama kind of similar to that where, you know, you're talking to kind of the ether, you're just mm-hmm. leaving a record of your experience. And as you're walking through a wasteland where, you know, you may or may not encounter some kind of uh like horrific event and mm-hmm. have to fight for your life to stay to survive uh that's always been appealing to me and you've captured that man you managed to do that so you. you write the show you produce the show star in the show edit the show um i mean is there anything you don't do <laughs> um i also wrote and recorded the uh like the credits music <laughs> at the end wow. as well. Wow. Uh, so um, one thing that like our Patreon, uh, the patrons get uh, for the highest tier that we have, there's also accompanying original music that is eventually going to end up as a concept album that will accompany like the entire show itself. So, and again, all written, performed, recorded uh, and everything by me. Uh, but the cool thing is it's actually from the perspective of the characters in the show. And uh, like one of the, that's like one of the most fun like parts that like doesn't really get to be heard by that many people, uh, or at least not yet. Uh, but yeah, my background's also like, I, I've been a musician for the last 27 or so years. Uh, like I, I'm a multi-instrumentalist. I play like 10 11 instruments uh i've been a music director i'm a composer singer songwriter arranger uh so there's just a this show has given me a lot of opportunities to just touch on a lot of different aspects of my like creative ability which is really fun and it's really cool yeah, that's incredible that uh, you have so many talents that are useful for this endeavor. Um, you uh, so I, I am a little bit jealous because I can't even play a guitar. I've got a beautiful guitar right out there in my living room, and I pick it uh-huh. up once in a while and I strum it, but I can't play it. You know, I can't play songs or anything on it because I just don't <laughs> put in the time to learn. Mm-hmm. But for somebody to play uh, multiple instruments, be able to compose your own music. Uh, yeah. Again, that's something that I've always wished I could do. I just never really put the time into doing it. Um, what What is it that, how, how do you think you were able to pick up and and master so many different skills um well especially musically i grew up in a an extremely musical family um my dad is a trumpet player my mom played flute her mother uh, was a singer and played guitar and accordion Uh, my dad's dad was a drummer 
Um, both of my mom's brothers are professional drummers. Uh, and like my sister is a vocalist as well. So I was just surrounded by talented people. And uh, like, I hate saying this, but like, I don't remember a time where I wasn't at least okay on <laughs> an instrument. Uh, like there's still instruments I struggle with, of course. Uh, like I, I, I know that I'm extremely limited on guitar, but I can play it well enough that like I was a band leader for a, about 10 years. And uh, like I've toured the country as a musician. Uh, like I've toured as a drummer, I've toured as a, a singer songwriter. Uh, like, and like I said, I've picked up enough piano that I was able to be a music director for like major like musical theater shows. Uh, and so really I just, when I was a kid, my mindset was, I wanna play this instrument. I guess I should figure out how. So anytime there was an instrument that I could get my hands on, I just really set my mind to it and taught myself. Uh, the only instrument that I had any formal training on was the trumpet uh, and French horn, uh, which I played in middle school and high school. And really all that did was teach me how to read music. Because uh, again, like there wasn't a time that I didn't feel like I was somewhat natural at it. That's and, amazing. Uh, well, I mean, thank you to your parents for, <laughs> uh, you know, building an atmosphere where you were uh, inspired to learn instruments and had the ability to learn instruments, right? Um, yeah, that's awesome, man. That's a that's cool backstory right there. An expensive hobby. But, oh yeah, sure. <laughs> but 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 luckily, like everything I have has paid for itself. <laughs> so, oh, that's great. That's that's yeah. great. Like that's that's how I made sure they were okay with it growing up. I was like, don't worry, this will make me money. <laughs> so you know that's a that's a great way to to bring it back to the podcast because you also do the sound design for the podcast, which. Mm -hmm. Anybody who doesn't really know what that is, that's all the sound effects that you hear throughout the, the story. Mm -hmm. um, so as in there, there's scenes where you have footsteps and you can hear people yelling off in the distance and stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, can, you, can you explain the process of creating that, that kind of sound or, or those kind of like sound effects, I guess you would call it? Sure. Uh, so you have the the boring part which uh is the back end of everything so every script that i have i i have to extremely compartmentalize so i start off as the writer uh get everything get everything done that way uh switch mindsets and i usually don't come to the sound part until like several weeks later so like like i said all the scripts were written uh beforehand and then i spent uh, like an entire week going through all of the scripts, uh, marking it up as sound designer and uh, making my notes the same way that I would for a play or a, a musical, uh, just circling and numbering my cues in the script, uh, figuring out what needs to be done, going through and making sure that I have a really, really clear idea of what everything should be. Uh, and then from that point, I make a spreadsheet. <laughs> It's uh, the part of creative life that people don't tend to think about. Uh, just 
if if I didn't keep everything organized, the show would be a huge mess. Uh, so I have like my spreadsheet of everything that has all of like literally all of the information that needs to be done, and it's there that I'll actually imp, uh, expound on whatever whatever it needs to be. Like if I think it needs to transition from one thing into another, uh, and then from there I. Uh, because I do work as a sound designer uh, professionally, I have I have several different libraries of sound effects that are from uh, just like major industry standard uh, like sound effects houses. Uh, like I've got stuff from BBC, from like CBS, uh, different Hollywood ones. Uh, but what I've been doing. Uh, mostly is try to incorporate as much Foley as possible too. So uh, most of about 75% of the show. Can, can you explain what that is? Cause a lot of people won't understand what Foley is. Mm -hmm. So Foley is actual like real time effects that are being done, uh, usually made by one person. Uh, it was really popular in early radio shows. Uh, like any sound effects that you would have heard in like the original airing of War of the Worlds per se, or uh, like any just old serial dramas that were on the radio. Uh, so like anytime you would hear like a, a ratchet or footsteps in something like that would be just one person with a pair of shoes on their hands walking on a table. <laughs> uh, stuff like that. They had like miniature like door like doors that were remain stuff and it, it was just a basically it was localized to a table and just the fact that there was someone who had this much creativity that they were able able to figure out exactly how to replicate a lot of these sounds but also just uh just being able to do it all in real time because it's not like they could like start and stop the way i can now it's like I can take as much time as I need to to build stuff within the two week window. <laughs> yeah, they were doing it in real time back in those days, which you're talking about that because that radio was was aired live. So you had mm -hmm. these people making those sound effects in real time, as you were saying. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's uh it's an entire discipline in itself and requires in some cases, I mean, if you're talking about a big Hollywood budget type film blockbuster movie you have a whole team of people creating sound effects and foley and different oh yeah different pieces of audible or audio uh, effects that you hear because mm -hmm. that's a huge part of uh the experience even even if um you know in the movie nowadays we have we're so spoiled with all the visual effects Mm -hmm. But you could take away the visual effects and still have a good movie, good movie experience if you had that rich audio experience coupled with it. If it was opposite where you didn't have the audio effects and you did have all these great visual effects, it would be a less of a, an experience, in my opinion. Correct. Like, especially if it's not written specifically to be like that. True. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> good point. And yeah, and then with uh, an audio drama like you have you you have to rely on both the storytelling itself and the audio 
So like, there's only so much you can be told without being shown. Uh, so like having the footsteps or uh, just different atmospheric sounds or uh, things like that, you 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 would lose so much. So there's a point in uh, the story where it sounds like you and another person are walking upstairs, and then you get to a point where you have to open. <laughs> this door and the door sounds like it weighs about 500 pounds <laughs> and it hasn't been oiled since the beginning of time mm -hmm. and it creaks open really loud. And one of, one of you guys, I can't remember if it was you or the dude you were with says, uh, that thing's really loud or something like that. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> it was, a, it was a good little bit of comic relief in, in an otherwise, you know, uh, full attention and, um, you know, serious drama of what mm -hmm. you, what you're trying to create. Right. So I, I just thought that part was, it really stood out for me <laughs> audibly. Yeah. It was the, you should probably oil that. <laughs> Is that what it was? Yeah. Is that what yeah. the line was? Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, man, you're totally giving away your position. <laughs> you yep. know, if anybody's trying, <laughs> trying to hear to find out where you're at. <laughs> uh, do you, um, now you say you're trying to create some of that on your own. Mm -hmm. You're trying to capture the the effects your, yourself and um, do some of that audio editing or that audio effects on your yourself. Is that what you said? Mm -hmm. Yes. So uh, it's gotten to a point where it's about uh, about sixty percent of the sounds are actually from like sound libraries and stuff, and the remaining forty has been like me actually doing fully myself because just with the amount of effects that I have to choose from, sometimes it ends up taking way longer than it would if I just did it myself. That's true. So. Yeah, that, that's a very good point. Um, you know, for, for me, I use very minimal. Um, I, I don't use any audio effects. I use some um, uh, some music in the intro mm -hmm. and in the outro. It, by the way, is that the correct term? to use yeah. mm -hmm. okay outro oh yeah <laughs> i was never sure if that was correct or not but it just seemed like it, it fit right like it's the obvious choice but it's correct okay cool um then i'm not a complete idiot thank god <laughs> <laughs> uh now when it when it comes to the uh sound fi i know we're not really talking about sci-fi as much as we're talking about um podcasting Mm -hmm. But uh, when it comes to um, sound design, can you name some of the people that are in the industry that have uh, had an influence on you? Or is that something that you have just completely started to do on your own? Uh, I mean, it's mostly something I've started to do on my own. Uh, I kind of fell into it also. Uh, I was working on a few... Um, on a few musicals like over the last few years that they didn't hire a sound designer and there were things that needed to happen that were in the script and that also someone needed to record and do things like that that it wasn't going to get done otherwise so I took it upon myself to actually do it and then I realized that I really enjoyed doing it and so I just kind of built my knowledge from kind of from the ground up from that uh, and also, like, I've had a background as a sound engineer, sound engineer and stuff. So, like, I already had that knowledge and 
just from having basic home studio setups. Uh, so just kept building on top of that, building on top of that. And then uh, in 2018 was actually when I got my first uh, like full-fledged sound design gig. And that's what really like tested, tested my knowledge, tested my abilities. And it's just been building from there. Uh, Very cool. You're a real self-starter, man. A lot of people, and, and it seems like you adjust to your environment based on the needs. Mm -hmm. uh, because a lot of people will will have an experience with a, with a, usually a movie. Um, and they'll think, man, that's so cool. Like, a, say, a concept artist. You know, they'll see um, the the original book of Sid Mead that he created for Blade Runner. You know, mm -hmm. and that's a hugely influential book um, for concept artists. You know, a lot of them will see that and be like, that's what I want to do. I want to be, you know, mm -hmm. concept artist. Um, there are several people in, in the sound industry that have had a similar experience with films like star wars mm -hmm. you know the, the level of sound effects that they did for that movie was just groundbreaking oh yeah and it influenced a whole generation or multiple generations of people that wanted to do sound design because of that um you're a little bit kind of an anomaly <laughs> in, in your journey it seems like because you know you have been able to adapt and and thankfully so but it seems like you learned early on a direction that you wanted to go and then just adapted to the different uh to the different challenges that came your way and were able to overcome those those challenges that's awesome man thanks uh yeah there was even a long time where i was focused more on film work and again it wasn't the audio aspect it was actual like visuals and stuff and then i found out that i didn't really like camera operating and uh it's hard to get any experience doing literally anything else in the film industry uh, unless you have like some kind of degree or something like that, which, which I don't. So uh, like, like I said, everything that I've done, I've had to do because I've either produced it myself or I just don't know how to say that I can't do something. <laughs> uh, so if I, if I feel even remotely that I could accomplish something, then I'll try it. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, you know, it it, uh, it really um, it really inspires me to hear you say that because I think you're the kind of a person that younger uh, younger people who are not sure what direction they want to go could look up to and follow as a as a person who provides that inspiration for them mm -hmm. be a self-starter be a person that doesn't um understand that there you know that that there may be limitations or boundaries uh set set in in front of you instead you don't see those limitations and boundaries you see a challenge to overcome and to find a way to you know get past that and get mm -hmm. get the job done um, that is one of the most inspiring stories that I've heard. Oh, thank you. That's no joke, man. I mean, 
you and I don't even know each other. And I've only heard one thing that you've produced and that's your audio drama, but it just in talking to you and hearing your story, that's an ins inspiring story to me. Thank you. Um, yeah, you got to get big, dude, so that uh, you can expand your your reach and uh, get that story to more people. That's all I can say. Yeah, like we uh, we had a write up, and so I'm originally from Houston, Texas. Uh, so I lived in Houston until. Uh, <laughs> That's, you you mentioned that in the story too. <laughs> yeah, like there there's different. Like I said, there's different aspects pulled from reality. Uh, so Joseph, the character is. It's about 75% of my real life. Uh, like Joseph in the show is like, a, he's a few years younger than I am. Uh, and also like I envision him with a full head of hair, which again, definitely not pulled from reality there. Uh, but like he was a musician, like he's toured around, like a lot of the things he knows how to do because of being a musician and uh, just being like that sort of a creative. Uh, he's able to actually keep this record. He's, I, I think Joseph's a little bit more introverted than I would consider myself uh, until he gets uncomfortable and then just kind of starts rambling and uh, just trying to... He makes a lot of like pop culture references, which also I have done a lot in my, <laughs> in my real life. Uh, it's like if if you could read one of the like actually read one of the scripts, you would see so many just ridiculous nerdy references just thrown everywhere. Uh, like in in episode three, the uh, there's one scene called uh, like <clears throat> called like the Fellowship Begins and like things like that. And it's like there's Tolkien references, there's Ghostbusters references, there's uh, Star Wars references like episode six is called A New Hope. Uh, and so uh, I'm originally from Houston and the uh, the big paper in Houston is the Houston Chronicle. And uh, I, like I said, I, I'm not, I, I just casually mention things to people just to throw it out there sometimes. And on social media, I actually follow one of the writers for the paper. Um, and like they used to write for one of the smaller papers, which is how I knew who they were, uh, that they wrote about my band a lot um, back when I lived there. So I just commented on a Doctor Who post that they had put. Uh, no, it wasn't Doctor Who. It was uh, Welcome to Night Vale. Uh, which is another podcast. It's uh, been around since uh, okay. 2012. So. Yeah, I've heard of it. I have heard of it now that you mention it. Yeah, it's uh, Joseph Fink. Uh, fantastic show. Uh, but I just commented something on there. Uh, they said that they used to love Night Vale a lot more before it felt like it was real life. <laughs> uh, and so I was like, if you think that's bad, like you should listen to my show. And uh they actually said that they would listen to it and uh, got about first episode in and said that they would pitch it for their next story. So I was like, well, that worked out pretty well and didn't expect anything from it really. And then uh, about a week and a half later, um, actually like they called me for an interview uh, to actually like write a, a, a piece in the paper. 
Um, and the day that it came out, uh, before that, we were seeing about anywhere from four to seven like downloads a day, uh, which I thought was great because it's like there wasn't a day that it was zero. Uh, and then after like the day it came out, uh, within the hour, we had roughly about 1,300 uh, downloads that day alone. And like we saw that those kind of numbers for at least a week. Uh, and then from there, uh, on a typical day, we're still seeing around uh, between like 25 to like 60 uh, a day. And then on like the release days, uh, around like two to 300. So it's just like amazing how much one, like one article could do. And uh, since then, I've been trying to like reach out to as many publications as possible. And I'm going to start again going between season one and season two to try to like drum up that, uh, that publicity. Just because it's hard to reach out to people when you're in the middle of a show. They don't know like what direction it's really going in and if it's even going, like, going to be completed. Uh, but I, I think I think the reception's been pretty good so far and like um, I'm actually really excited to see it grow and uh, I'm gonna be hope hopefully talking to the right people that will be able to like grow it within uh, the audio drama industry and also there's certain theater production companies that I'm gonna be reaching out to to see if they just want to try to diversify their own offerings and just there's only so much I can do as one person because like within my production team, it's me. <laughs> so there's no way for me to network to myself. Yeah, that's a good point though. Um, in growing an audience, you really have to put yourself out there and uh, mm -hmm. it, it does help tremendously to, to make the right connections with other people. Mm -hmm. and um so uh, but what one thing that that um that struck me when you were talking about that is that it's uh it's not like you had a, a big surge in downloads and then it just went back to zero mm -hmm. you've actually been able to capture an audience and start to grow that audience over time to where you've got some people that are sticking around mm -hmm. and and enjoying the show and we've and, also, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I was just, I, I was just going to cap that off by saying that that just speaks to um, the quality of the show itself. Oh, thank you. Uh, yeah, I, I was surprised when we started getting international downloads, uh, but we have, uh, there's at least 40 different uh, international markets that, like we consistently see downloads in uh, like every week <laughs> and it, it just keeps adding on, which is really, really cool. Like the, the most recent was actually Russia. So. <laughs> so. Yeah, I have to agree. That is cool. Seeing people from other countries um, uh, downloading your, your product. And mm -hmm. I mean, 
it's hard to say. It's hard for me to call it a product, but you're basically producing something. Oh, yeah. What's what's the result of producing something? A product, right? Correct. So it is a product. It's not something that um, you can easily put a price tag on and people can walk walk away with it. But mm-hmm. um, it is a, a you know, it is an experience that people can have, right. and the the experience that you you bring to people is a little bit of fantasy, um, a little bit of reality and a lot of imagination. And I think that's what people are, are craving. Mm-hmm. So good, good for you, man. Um, it's now you said you're between seasons right now mm-hmm. and, uh, and you've pretty much, um, wrapped up, uh, production on the first season. How long until the second season is out? Uh, second season is still being written. Uh, just from the turnaround time of literally getting everything recorded and uh, sound designed within two weeks of each other. Uh, There wasn't a lot of time for writing. Uh, I also edit another podcast uh, that's out there. Uh, And then whatever other projects I have that pop up here and there. So uh, the first the first episode of season two is about 75% uh, written already. And the, the chances that I finish writing within, uh, it'll probably be done with writing probably by the end of the year. So I think realistically uh, either January or February would be the start of season two. and I'm really glad that I finished the first season when I did. Uh, so I actually know, like, I can keep the same trajectory without having to touch on a lot of the other stuff that happened, <laughs> uh, like, in reality. So, like, I know I understand the characters so much better now. I, there's more characters that are being introduced in the second season, uh, which is going to be really cool. Uh, and... Um, so yeah, I think realistically, uh, late winter uh, or very, very early spring. Uh, I I never know exactly what to call like February because coming from Texas, you don't really have real seasons. So it's either hot or wet. <laughs> yeah, I'm in Nevada. I'm in uh, Las Vegas, and we have the same thing here. But although hmm. February is still cold here. Uh, we still have cold days in February, but March, we start to get spring, you know, and it's just Mm -hmm. incredible. The weather's incredible here during the spring and the fall. Um, and you would think desert, you know, isn't that hot year round? No, we have, (laughs) we have two seasons, cold and hot, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know, but we, we do have a couple months with temperate weather, which is beautiful. Yeah. I think I've only been around there in the summer. Like every time I've been through Nevada, it's always it's always the summer. <laughs> try try coming between um, between February and l- late May. Mm-hmm. You know that's that the weather during that period is beautiful. Nice. And then uh, in the fall, we get a couple months worth of really beautiful, like temperate sixties, seventies weather. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. Like I 
I love actually seeing seasons where I am now. Uh, I currently, like I live in Brooklyn now, so see literally every season. <laughs> yeah. It's like I, I can look out the window of the living room and like I can see the leaves changing. So. Yeah. And, you know, most people who are not from that area think of, you know, Brooklyn as a, just a, a really densely populated city, mm-hmm. but you, you still see the, uh, you still have the seasons though. And you still have oh, parks yeah. where you see the, the changing of the colors and yeah, those are, but even out here in the desert, we have plants and stuff, desert type mm-hmm. of foliage that it just, incredible colors during the fall and spring yeah um so do do you have a an ultimate path where um this american wasteland is going to end up like three four seasons from now is it going to like be come to a completion or is it something that you haven't even thought that far ahead um i i definitely feel like it is going to come to like uh an actual end uh i haven't decided exactly how to get there yet though uh like i i i know the story that i want to tell up to that point for the most part uh but it's still something i've been kind of internally grappling with a little bit uh so uh, i think i think probably around three four seasons is about as long as i i think that's a good point to where it doesn't outstay its welcome (laughs) i think that is true with a lot of serial uh, productions and I'm not just talking about audio productions but I you know even TV series mm-hmm. um, you get three or four seasons into them and they're very well thought out very well planned and that that roadmap through the end of season four is usually pretty well established mm-hmm. but then once they start getting to, to season the, the end of season three and the beginning of season four and they're like, man, we have such a huge fan base and the fan base is really screaming for more. We got to develop a season five. And that's mm-hmm. where you start to see the quality dip off, you know, in a lot of cases, because right. they mean, hadn't, they hadn't planned beyond that, mm-hmm. that's that scope of the three or four seasons. Right. Like the show supernatural, <laughs> like they just wrapped up their 15th season. Wow. And, uh, like like they finally ended the show but everyone everyone that was a part of it was like yeah i'll keep doing this show as long as they want us to and it did kind of dip in quality after the sixth season uh but like the first five were incredibly strong like like they had a very like concise story they were telling and it was all very compelling and just uh the, a lot of shows like that and then like even take mash for instance uh that show it was a show about a conflict that lasted longer than the conflict itself yes so yeah didn't the series last like 10 years 11 11 years and 11 years <laughs> yeah and the korean war only lasted three years yep uh that's a good example um 
how how did they stretch out a three-year conflict into a 10-year series mm-hmm. uh but it was a brilliant series i mean it, oh, it was yeah. full of comedy full of social commentary like we were talking about mm-hmm. but but so subtle and in some in some ways it was a little bit overt but it was not the like, later seasons definitely yeah yeah when when alan alda started doing a lot more of the writing oh that so. makes sense yeah that does make sense um because he's, he's always been pretty outspoken mm-hmm. and um but yeah i love that series uh the the mash series is um one of the staples of my growing up now you've made reference to how much time you've been like studying music and different mm-hmm. things you don't look like you're you would be any we're older than 30. Am I wrong about that? I'm 34. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, Yeah. You you look fairly young, which is cool. You know, I mean, but uh, the, the experience that you've had for, um, for what you do just seems to have started when you just barely walking, I guess. (laughs) I started playing drums when I was eight. Oh, cool. Uh, Then uh, basically everything grew from there. Uh, but yeah, I I watched I watched reruns of Mash like the entire time I was in high school. Uh, like I watched I watched a lot of shows that people like my peers didn't care about. <laughs> like I was a huge Mash fan. I was a huge Frasier fan. Uh, and then of course, like I had the others like uh, Simpsons and Futurama. And like Futurama ended up being my favorite just because of the way they actually do tackle the science fiction genre and uh i did actually watch a, a very much futurama but uh I, I did watch the simpsons quite a bit and as far as frazier is concerned that is definitely a flavor of comedy that you have to acquire <laughs> you know it's funny it is funny man but mm-hmm. i probably did not start watching that show until it ended and reruns came out mm-hmm I don't think I ever watched that show when it was a running series. I, I, wait, yeah, right. I, I watched it when reruns were out and I was like, man, this is funny. <laughs> These guys are a bunch of lunatics, mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, yeah, comedy is, is a good way to, um, to, uh, to deal with social issues uh, mm-hmm. because yeah, if you, if you put a comedic spin on something, and anybody watching it can laugh at it, then you're more likely to not, like we talked about before, not not um, alienate part of your audience. Right. Yeah, because if people can't laugh at themselves, then wow, just, you know, move along. Nothing for mm-hmm. you to see here. Just just move along, right? Right. Um, but bringing it back to the science fiction, uh, so you grew up in the, was it the 90s? Uh, late 80s and 90s. Okay. What uh, type of science fiction films or uh, TV series did you watch when you were, com- were coming up? Uh, a lot of Star Wars. Um, okay. Like when they, when George Lucas released the, or re-released the original trilogy, uh, my dad made it a point to like make sure that we saw every single one because he saw every single one when they originally came out. Uh and even before that, like we had the trilogy on VHS and uh, 
like I watched I watched them religiously so uh a lot of that uh, I grew up watching uh stuff like Blade Runner uh Terminator um just like the ma- more mainstream like blockbuster things and then moving into around my junior year of high school uh I got my own I got my own Hollywood video card and uh like I had one for them and I had one for Blockbuster. So I would, they had a deal at the time that you could get like four or five uh, movies at the same time for like a certain price. So I would just get all of the like random like B movies and just like cult classics that I could find. And uh, like, I got really into a lot of like the Tromaville, uh, like B movie, like horror campy stuff. Um, and then really just started like expanding my my palette that way uh, and that's when I saw Metropolis for the first time um, and for some reason I thought that it was the version with like the rock music that everyone talked about and I was very surprised uh, that it was not was <laughs> it just the silent version yeah oh, it, okay. was, it was the original version <laughs> So, like, I've still only seen the original version. Uh, and, like... That's like a three-hour movie, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, just a very, very long silent film. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, reading a lot more uh, science fiction just because there's there's just a way that they can put it on the page that it doesn't always necessarily translate. Uh, like, especially with things like Blade Runner, uh, I didn't read Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep until several years after uh, seeing the film. And, like, I don't think I would have enjoyed the film had I read it first. Really? Like, it's a, it's a gorgeous film, and it's extremely well done. But this, it, it doesn't tell the same story in the same way. Uh, which, like, I I love the fact that now I can actually keep them both separate. Like there are times when I'm thinking about the film itself and it's almost like it's just like, it's just actually two separate things. Uh, which that, that's cool. true in, in several instances when a, when a movie really tries to, to, to put on screen what the writer did in the book, I think it often fails. Mm-hmm. But when the writer just uses the book as an inspiration and -hmm. comes up with a unique story to tell visually, I think you have a much more successful uh, result, um, you know, in the filmmaking process. Um, And, and one of the, one of the rare circumstances where, and you might, you might actually get this reference, but one of the rare circumstances where the film tries to emulate the book and is successful is the movie the road Mm -hmm. and the book the road by cormac mccarthy i was just about to say like the cormac mccarthy adaptations are pretty well done yes i I was thinking no country for old men but oh right okay i didn't read that book i did read the road but um they're all they're all very dense (laughs) and bleak uh but yeah the the adaptations lend themselves so well. 
and now um so i i you you haven't really said if you are like a a, a really hardcore science fiction fan or is that like your the prevailing genre of interest that you pursue your creative endeavors or is this just another that's that's the path that was like right in front of you that you decided to take when i actually uh like actively seek out uh like audiobooks and things to listen to uh i'm usually looking for like some type of science fiction uh, lately, it's been a combination of science fiction and philosophy, uh, because the the two go hand in hand so well. And science fiction is how I learned I love philosophy, <laughs> uh, because like the like the entire um, like the robot trilogy uh, that Asimov um, had put out, like the the deeper you get into uh, like the three laws and everything, it's just, uh, there, there was just a lot more philosophical thinking than I ever thought when I first started reading it. And uh, it, it just kind of opened up my viewpoint a lot more. And then when I read Stranger in a Strange Land for the first time, uh, that's how I, discovered I loved Robert A. Heinlein. <laughs> uh, and then like since reading that, I've, I, I must have read at least 10, 10 more of his novels in the last couple years. Uh, so it's, so, uh, you're, you're a fairly avid reader, it sounds like. I try to be. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've got a reading challenge every year on, on my Goodreads app that like i try to read at least 60 books a year whoa <laughs> <Okay>. so <laughs> i'm currently uh, behind schedule but <laughs> <laughs> yeah well uh producing a an audio drama and then trying to make a living on the side that's going to consume quite a bit of your your time especially when you're wearing all the hats yourself mm -hmm. um writer actor editor sound design I mean, it's, it's a huge endeavor that you've undertaken. And a lot of people have a team. I mean, yeah, you, you have mm -hmm. other actors that portray different characters. Right. You're doing it all yourself. That's awesome, man. Thanks. Yeah, it's a, good. It's, good it's a lot. <laughs> Plus, you're doing the marketing on your own, you know, and that's another, yeah. uh, another very important part of it. But that requires time. In, in itself to be able to get exposure for the work. Mm -hmm. I, I think that's probably the most exhausting part. <laughs> so like if I could outsource anything, it would be that. <laughs> All it would take, <laughs> it's kind of a joke, but if, uh, if you could get one minute on the Joe Rogan podcast, I think it would be all, all done, all right. done and said, you know, <laughs> that, that podcast is one of the most influential um, I guess platforms that mm -hmm. that is out there right now, you know, right. um, dude just has millions of listeners. And every if you look at YouTube, you could see the number of views that he has on each episode, and it's in the millions uh, mm -hmm. for each episode. Oh, yeah, I, you get that kind of exposure, then 
big doors are going to start to open for you. Right. Hopefully between now and when that happens, you know, you, you'll be able to make some, some <laughs> other big steps, Yeah, you know, to move you in that direction. Uh, I don't know Joe Rogan or I'd pitch it too. <laughs> pitching the idea. You got to bring this guy on, man. He's not only creative, he's got a cool, a cool backstory that is inspirational and could, um, could benefit generations of, of kids that want to pursue the creative arts. <laughs> Uh, now, what do you see as far as, um, okay, being a lover of science fiction and a creator within mm -hmm. the science fiction genre, uh, that's got to be a cool thing to, to be able to say to people, you know, when they ask you what, what you do and what are your interests, um, to be able to say that, I, you know, I create a, an audio drama, a science fiction audio drama, um, you know, with in the back of your head, knowing that you've been a fan of the genre for your whole life, more or less. But uh, am I correct in that? Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, I, like the, like, I always wanted to just create something that I would enjoy. Because like, that's, that's one of the truest tests of like creative ability. It's like, would other people like this? Sure, that's important. But like, one of the most exciting parts of being uh like someone who makes something for a creative outlet is like how do you personally feel about this like if it's a product that i'm proud of a product that i enjoy a product that i love then it's like that that comes through in the in the entire process like it comes through in the writing it comes through in the sound design like if the process felt like it was remotely grueling then like, I, I don't think it would have been anywhere near the point of any success that it is. Uh, so the fact that I can approach it even as like a fan, uh, then I feel like it, I hope that it comes through at, at least. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's really cool that, especially right now during uh, like the time of everyone having to do things remotely and a lot of the or most of the uh, creative industries shut down still the fact that I can, when someone asks like, Hey, what do you do? I can actually say this. Uh, it's like, well, I'm today. I'm the uh, writer and creator of uh, a serial audio drama. And it's, it always feels really good to be able to say that. And uh, like doing this one, uh, immediately after I started writing it, I just was overflowing with ideas for other ones. Uh, so there's actually uh, like a more uh, high science fiction one that I've started writing that had to kind of take a back seat for a little bit because we started production on this. Um, there's a, a Western that I've written that I've been trying to figure out where it fits um and then like a kind of a noir drama as well that kind of weaseled its way into being science fiction <laughs> uh just because i think those two would lend themselves really well to each other uh there was a uh, i think it was a bertolucci film that i saw recently uh that 
it, it was like mid 60s um and it was just a a really really interesting combination of uh like film noir and sci-fi that i thought was so cool and even if it was a little disjointed uh not sure it was bertolucci now that i think about it because it was a french film uh but it it definitely inspired me to want to try to write something that way uh, but yeah it's it's been really fun and rewarding being able to create something that I've been so influenced by my entire life. Uh, it just, how are you doing on time? Cause I have a few more questions that I'd like to get to. I'm not even looking sure, at sure. my notes today, <laughs> but talking <laughs> uh, to you is just so yeah, interesting. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm okay. Cool. So how, how important do you think, pursuing creative endeavors is to mental health, especially in the, the times that we live in today? Um, I think more important than ever, really. Uh, there was a long time that uh, you mentioned this a little while ago, uh, trying to like work like a full-time job and do like creative endeavors at the same time. That's a lot. It's a lot on someone's plate. Uh, so for instance, up until 2015, um, I was trying to basically be a full-time musician while also having a full-time job at a, in, like in the legal field. So like I worked in the legal field for a long time and, uh, as like a legal assistant, file clerk, stuff like that. And even branched into like project management for other things. So I was trying to do that and basically completely separate my life 50-50 and uh, just burning the candle on both ends for so long. And uh, yeah, there's not a lot of time for rest or even sleep <laughs> for that matter. So like if I'm playing a gig until two in the morning and then having to wake up and go to work at eight, uh, it, it takes its toll eventually. And uh, so like, I know from doing that, that I've, as a creative, I was miserable if I didn't have the chance to create. And uh, so like a very long story short, uh, I was coming back from a gig, hadn't had enough sleep, fell asleep while I was driving and drove off of bridge into a creek uh and like i broke five ribs fractured my sternum uh like car was totaled and like that's what eventually pushed me into being a full-time artist uh because like doctor said i couldn't go back to work for a while uh so i just started writing more music at the time and uh so from 2015 to that point like that's when i've been uh I've essentially been self-employed since then uh, as a creative in some capacity. So either a musician, a music director, a writer, actor, uh, anything like that. So especially coming from that point now, if I didn't have a creative outlet at the moment, then I would literally just be sitting on my couch watching Seinfeld and 
as great as that can be sometimes, <laughs> uh, like I know personally the toll that it's taken on just my mental health uh, without like having to separate my time and like my brain with, you know, work or just something that I don't really care about. And while still trying to maintain like some positivity and some form of happiness from creating. So, uh, sorry, go ahead. No, well, uh, um, I, I was just going to interject that humans are not drones. Humans are a, a creative being and putting them into a situation where all they do is mundane tasks uh, is not healthy for them, not healthy mentally, and in, in a lot of cases, not healthy physically. Mm-hmm. Um, so in some ways, you know, as as horrible as the the situation is living under the 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 stress and um, the the frustrating circumstances that we have to endure during the COVID crisis. Um, I I I really think this is my personal opinion. I, I normally ask people what their opinion is, but in this case, I'm going to give my right. opinion. Um, I think we are on the verge of a huge boom in the creative arts. Oh yeah. Just because there's so much, there's, there's so many people looking for an outlet and the only outlet that they have when you don't have a job, you know, or, you know, you're faced with just nothing to do. Mm-hmm. The only outlet you have is to do creative, to do something creative. Right. So, and I think that we're, we're way past due for a renaissance in the mm-hmm. creative arts. And I think we're going to see something extraordinary once we come out the other side of this COVID thing. Oh, yeah. That's just my personal opinion. I hope it's true. Uh, you know, I, I literally don't see this being the end of the world. Uh, several, some, some people do, man. Some people right. think that, like, this is the end days. Uh, but me personally, it's a challenge, challenging time for everybody. Mm-hmm. But I think it's also the um, the seed of of a new era. Right. And uh, 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 sounds kind of cliche, but the new a new dawn. <laughs> <laughs> hey, cliches are cliches for a reason. <laughs> That's true because they fit. <laughs> they mm-hmm. fit. And uh, yeah, man, I can't wait to see what comes out of it. And not, I'm not talking about, you know, uh, I mean, what you're doing is more of a, a direct um, approach to the events that we're living through right now. Mm-hmm. But what I'm talking about is people with just so much pent up creative energy and and trying to find an outlet for it. And w- once you start to see that unfold, I think it's going to be like just huge renaissance man that's all i can that's all i can think of hoping so yeah yeah i do too um now and that's usually a question i i, I ask the guest but in this case you agree so that's cool yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um sometimes the the guests actually surprise me and say something different and i just mm-hmm. keep my opinion to myself but because i'm always <laughs> interested in hearing other people's perspectives on things right uh but um now, as far as the genre of science fiction itself, 
where do you see that going in the next, say, five years? What, what, what kind of innovations or revolutions do you see coming out of that genre? Um, you can decline to answer if you don't have an answer. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it, I actually haven't thought too much about it. Okay, uh, that's cool. Just, just because I, I do consume so much like older uh, science fiction that like it's already covered so much ground. Uh, but a, a lot of the newer stuff I've been reading, it's a lot more tied into just, it's kind of like alternate history. Uh, and just, uh, I've been seeing a huge surge in like steampunk and uh, like cyberpunk type stuff. Uh, cyberpunk I, is super cool, by the way. Oh, yeah. I yeah. like cyberpunk. Uh, so like, I, I think those surges are definitely going to keep coming. But um, also, I think, I think another renaissance of uh, like more space exploration uh, sci-fi would probably be coming pretty quick because like a lot of it was because they thought the world was going to like end a nuclear holocaust. So we were going to have to evacuate earth. <laughs> so uh, good tie in with the cold war, by the way. Thank exactly. you. Thank you for doing that. <laughs> uh, so uh, I mean, with other climate crises, like that possibility always is, is still looming. Like it may not be the reason we all thought, but uh, I think uh, also to take it back to Roddenberry, like a new frontier, <laughs> uh, you know, and just, I, I think, I, I think I would see a lot more of that kind of come back and almost come full circle from where everything started. Yeah, that's a, that's a, for not thinking about it very much, that's a pretty insightful answer. Uh, and, and it is something that I, uh, I enjoy doing. I enjoy speculating on things, especially future things, how things are going to unfold in the future. You know, what, what do things look like? Mm -hmm. And, you know, one of the things that I tend to ask people that come on this uh, podcast is in whatever the particular industry they're in, whether it's writing, filmmaking, game development, in your case, audio drama, where do you see the industry going in the next five years? Um. <laughs> okay. You can I'm, take a minute to think about that. There's no wrong answer. I, I think, I think the surge in basically like streaming possibilities is gonna just kind of blow up uh especially with like there's even been uh so recently i saw that there was an audio drama that like that was where they thought it was gonna go that where they thought it was gonna end up and their audio drama actually got picked up to be adapted by netflix so i think uh what would be excellent to see is um just different like crossovers and platforms but the fact that we can't or in most places we can't like go to a movie theater we can't uh do things like that then people being able to consume entertainment in their own homes is more prevalent and crucial than ever so uh 
I think the ability to create, to put things out in the world that way, uh, is gonna is gonna be like one of the biggest needs and the biggest changes. Uh, like I think the time of, not the time of, but I think the like multi-billion-dollar industries uh, for like filmmaking and things. Like I think those are gonna kind of fall off a little bit uh just because you have people like so michael bay is coming out with a pandemic movie <laughs> uh that is like a direct like uh, about COVID 19 and uh he's never been great at you know reading the room <laughs> um and like it it feels incredibly tone deaf which coming from me who wrote a show like roughly about the same thing. Uh, like I understand that, which is why I tried to fictionalize as much as I could and not, necess not necessarily say it's the same thing. It's similar, but like I've never been the type of person that wanted to profit from like something so destructive. <laughs> uh, so I guess what, where I was trying to go is that, like, I, I feel that with everyone's ability to kind of do as much as they can remotely, and uh, the fact that so much has to be streaming anyway, uh, I think that there's going to be a lot of voices that wouldn't be heard otherwise uh, that are going to be available now, because it's not just going to be like the big Hollywood blockbusters that have like the giant budgets uh that are being marketed the fact that we we currently can't really find anything other than word of mouth and just kind of grassroots uh, approaches that so many more creatives and so many new stories and just exciting stories are going to be available to everyone yeah the, the, it's it's exciting times for creatives for sure because you have a platform that allows you to put content out to anybody in the world with an internet connection. I mean, mm -hmm. that's a, that's a exciting prospect in itself. It's an exciting prospect for the consumers because they have so much diversity and so much creativity to choose from. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's almost to the point where, uh, you know, you're, there's an oversaturation of content right. that's available for people and they really get a, a, a lot more. What's another word for picky? Selective. People get very more, very, very selective about what they consume mm -hmm. and because they have so much uh, available to them to choose from. Right. Um, now what makes that a little bit of a detriment to the creative people or the people that are pursuing their creative in endeavors is that they've got this huge platform. They've got all this availability, but getting your voice, your, your unique voice heard amongst that ocean of content that's already out there is one of the things that's going to be the biggest challenge to, to creative people mm -hmm. that are, that are trying to self-produce things. I mean, when you've got big Hollywood budgets 
that are pouring millions of dollars into advertising campaigns. Mm -hmm. That's, you know, that's the one way to, to bypass um, what I'm talking about. But right. for, for small people like you and I that are just trying to get their, their voice heard, you know, you, you came up with a pretty unique way of doing it and that's reaching out to local, uh, local newspapers Mm-hmm. and to to get your story told and thankfully they were uh they were open to to accepting your um you know your proposition right uh, uh any suggestions do you have any suggestions for um people that are really trying to cut through that that um that cloth that's kind of what is that called when when you're coming up against something that is um (laughs) do do you understand what i'm saying and if you could help me if you could help me articulate (laughs) the question that would be i would be most grateful but what i what i really want to know is do you have any insight on how creative people can get their voice heard when they they have so much competition that's a good way to put it okay Uh, i think the other side of the uh oversaturation coin is that there's there is a possibility for the like super like niche markets uh like like someone if if someone wants to find something uh that they're interested in so uh your show, for instance, if someone is really interested in uh, in the Cold War and just the things surrounding it and that it was surrounded by, uh, like a Google search would be like, uh, like it's, it's that easy now uh, with the fact that there's so many people who may not have tried to put something creative out there before this. Uh, so like I, I think I think it is incredibly difficult because there is so many people out there all struggling for someone's attention or all competing for someone's attention. But it's for a consumer, it's like it's a field day, <laughs> basically. Because like anything anything we could want, there's a really good chance that it's probably out there. And if it's not, then we have platforms like like Twitter that all it takes is under 200 characters to say like, why isn't there a show about this? Eventually, it it might get made. Uh, it's like there was a a moment in This American Wasteland where one of the characters says like, even with no like social media, no technology, like the world is as small as ever. Like it's like the fact that it still takes human connection to find a lot of things uh like there's still that possibility out there so i think the the biggest help that any of us creatives is going to have is just talking to people and making sure that people know that we exist so that's a great a uh, great note 
to end this conversation on because it's also a positive message that, you know, you people have differences of opinions, but you find common ground and you can get along with anybody. You know, you just have to find a place of common interest to share and you will really find out how important and valuable that other person is. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you could disagree with them all you want on other ideas, on, on other issues. <clears throat> but to completely reject their, the, the person as a whole because they differ from you, uh, an opinion or in if you exclude people from your circle because they're a different color or have a different opinion or a different religion, you are missing so much. Uh, you know, you're really limiting your experience as a human being. And um, just talk to people, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I really enjoyed talking to you, Sean. I appreciate you coming on this podcast. Likewise, thank um, you. And I, I wish you the much success in your endeavors, man. I appreciate that. Uh, yeah, we're we were done. I just I wanted to have an opportunity to tell you again how much I appreciate you coming on the podcast. No, totally. Thank you so much. No, and it was it's been interesting uh, talking with you. And um, when you do get ready to launch the next uh, the next season, if you'd like to come back on and talk about, um, you know, uh, talk about some other things, uh, just as kind of a way to help get the word out there that the new uh, episodes are coming. Oh, for sure. I'd love to have you back on, man. You're an interesting dude. <laughs> Thanks. I appreciate that. All right, then, my man. Thank you again, and best of success to you in your endeavors. Thanks, likewise. Thanks. I'll talk to you soon.